This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, August 14th, 2016, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Eli Hersler. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Amen. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Eli Hersler, and one of my roles here is overseeing kids, the kids' ministry down in, downstairs, Kids Road, and I'm also an uh, elder candidate. And so I have the privilege and honor today to present to you God's Word. I'm super excited about it. Um, not as nervous as I was the first sermon service, but still, you know, it's presenting God's Word. And, and so what I'm going to do is I'll go ahead and pray that God would speak to me and put myself aside and that you would hear His Word. Let me pray. Lord and Father, we thank you for your glory, for your might, for your wonder, for your love. We pray as we hear your word today that you would speak to us in such a way that we would continue following you stronger, continue understanding how to be faithful better, knowing that you will fulfill in us what you started. So Lord, we thank you and we ask that you bless us this morning. In your son's name, amen. So we'll get started. We're in uh, Genesis 21, the second half, verses 22 through 34. I'll go ahead and read the text before we dig into it. Uh, 22, in verse 22 of 21, it says this, At that time, Abimelech and Fickle, or Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as you, but, sorry, my print's a little small. You will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of the men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs will you take from my hand that this may be a witness for that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So to give you a little backdrop on this, actually, I'll explain real briefly what I'm going to do with our text today. So I kind of broke it up in three categories, titled them the F's, three F's. So the first one, the first F is is following. So we're going to understand the life of Abraham and how he was called by God for a purpose and how he's following God. And then we're going to look at being faithful when they take the covenant Abraham and Abimelech, what it is to be faithful in the calling that God has for you. And then we're going to look at fulfill, what, what it is to fulfill the covenant. So what it is to be faithful in fulfilling what God has for you. 
So just a little backdrop on Abimelech, for those of you who might have not heard the sermon Sam did a couple weeks ago, back in 20, this is when Abimelech was first introduced, and this is the part where Abraham lied or deceived, however you want to put it, the king Abimelech and said his wife Sarah was his, his sister. And so Abimelech took Abraham's wife, but then God intervened and came to him in a dream. And God said, you are a dead man. And I, I don't know about you, but to hear the voice of God speaking to you, calling you a dead man, I don't like any, that's a little, that's a little, a little eerie, right? Um, and here's the thing, Abimelech, non-Israelite, a non-believer. So God is intervening on a covenant that he previously made with Abraham. So one thing we'll find out as we look at Abraham and Abimelech is that God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful and he will not break his covenant that he has with you. Now we know Abraham was not faithful by just that he was just going to give his wife away. So Abimelech, after this, became in fear and he pleaded with God his innocence. God, I did not know this was a man's wife. And so God told Abimelech in his dream that basically gave him an ultimatum. Return the man's wife, or you and your household shall surely die. So as you would imagine, it's an easy decision to make. Abimelech agreed, said, yes, I'll return the man's wife. So he returns the man's wife back to Abraham. Not only did he do that, he also gave Abraham gifts of sheep, oxen, male and female servants, and then he tells Abraham, behold, here's my land, dwell where it pleases you. And that's what Abraham did. So here's Abraham now, a little time from there, and we're going to get into our text in Genesis 21 to 22, and we're going to look at the, the following, where Abraham was following God, obeying God, listening. Now, verse 22, it starts out, at that time Abimelech and uh, Phicol, I'll just call him Phicol, the commander of his army said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but, I, I have, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Now the last time Abimelech was in the picture was the departure when Abraham prayed, if you remember that, prayed for Abimelech. And Abraham prayed that God would heal Abimelech and also his wife and his female servants because they could not bore children for God has closed their wombs because, they, because of the woman they have taken, which is Sarah's wife. This time, Abimelech brought a commander of his army, Phicol, along and wants, him, wants to join in a covenant peace treaty with, with Abraham. King Abimelech proposes to enter into a treaty because he not only recognizes, but also is a, a witness, a personal witness, that God's hand is upon Abraham. In fact, Abraham, in fact, he says to Abraham, God is with you and all that you do. So something kind of I want us to kind of grab onto a little bit is understanding this, that there's, there's a, a growth and a maturity in Abraham up to this point. You can see it really clearly because Abraham was in fear of the world, 
back in chapter 20. He feared Abimelech. And that's why he gave his wife over so easily, because he thought that this man, this fierce king, would kill him, would destroy him. So Abraham was not trusting in God. He was not trusting in God. And so now that Abraham sees that God is his shield, is his protector, as he promised he would be back in Genesis 15, now Abraham realizing that, okay, God is perfect and he is faithful and he will fulfill his promise. And so now Abraham has a little bit more boldness about his position. And so does King Abimelech, recognizing that God's hand is upon Abraham and is desiring a covenant with Abraham so he won't be on the wrong side of the God of Abraham if there's a conflict. Because, again, he's in fear of God. There's, there's fear put there by God himself. <clears throat> so which brings me to the question, when you see Abimelech recognizing Abraham, and he's saying, Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Let's think about us as a church, as believers. Is God with us in all that we do? Do people from the outside looking in, in other words, go, wow, I see that God is with you in all you do. Now let me just remind us that it's not God with us. We are with God in all he does. But that's the view of the world. They're looking in on us going, is God with you in all you do? And so my question to you is, is, is the world looking at you like that? Is there something different? Is there something about you in your workplace, your neighborhood, or even in our community as a church where the community will look at us and see that God is with us? Now, we know Abraham was far from perfect. After all, he's about to give his wife over. But still, the king Abimelech recognized God's hands upon him. So to understand where I'm going with this, let's look at another example. We're going to go into the New Testament and turn with me there to Acts 4.13. And we're going to look at an example of the Apostle Peter. So now that we're there, in 4.13 of Acts, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So here's a good example of Peter, of being bold. Here's Peter being bold, but there's also something else. So Peter's known for his boldness, but there's also something else Peter's known for. Anybody want to take a shot at that? What is, and a failure of Peter, what is he also known for? Denying Jesus, that's right. So, Peter called by Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, living for Jesus, at a time of pressure, makes emotional decisions and denies Jesus. Now, this was prophesied, by the way, by Jesus. He said, on the third time, you will deny me and a rooster will crow. Do you remember that? So the sound of that rooster to Peter must have been like nails into his coffin, closing it, when the realization of that. But despite that, God still used Peter tremendously in ways that Peter won't even know. And this is where I want to go with this and understand this, that Peter was a true follower of Christ, although he had these shortfalls. But he still constantly, but see, he was learning from them, and so was Abraham, the, the, the life of Abraham. He had shortfalls, like all of us have shortfalls. But we learn from our mistakes, and we learn from the mistakes of others, right? 
And we know that it's God who is faithful. God will bring us. God will show us and reveal. And God is our guide. And I know we have moments that we will fail. But we just need to remember the, to just get back up again and follow. Because that's what it is to be a follower. The Bible tells us we will stumble, we will struggle, and it will be difficult. But the encouraging part is God is faithful. God walks with you, and God's strength will pick you back up again. We just simply have to follow in him. And we need to learn from our mistakes that we don't repeat our mistakes. And mistakes of others. Which leads to me with Peter, I want to go to an example that he left with us in 1 Peter. We're going to look at uh, chapter 3, verse 15, if you turn there with me. Now for some of you that don't know this verse very well, it's one of the most popular verses used. It's kind of a foundation for apologetics, for those who defend God's word, defend his truth. This is kind of a heart verse. And I don't have time to unpack it today, but I do want to share three fundamental points to our faith. These are basic principles to our faith. And so we read this in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So the first point I want to make is that first section there. It says, we should honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, Christ is our Savior. Honor Him as our Lord and Savior. Christ is our Lord whom we follow and we obey. And He is holy, perfect, and blameless. Which is good, amen? Oh, and second point I want to make is in uh, is always being prepared to make a defense for the, to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that's in you. And this is a reminder, and I remind myself this too, that this verse is not written to just a specific group of people who have a, a desire to defend God's truth. I'm not saying everybody has to have the desire to be in apologetics and debate publicly with people, but this is not what that verse is saying. This verse is to all of us. Peter is not suggesting to consider being prepared. He's not saying, you guys should consider being prepared because you never know. Someone might ask you of your faith. By, by his calling, by his purpose, God has called him to be apostle, a leader of the church, and he's telling us with full authority to be prepared to make a defense for your faith, for your hope. And I'll bring it down to more personal level. And I, had, I got an opportunity last Sunday to witness this, and it was very, very, uh, it really got me in the heart. And uh, the six-year-old girl, Sunday school, Kids Road, our church, after I did the lesson, comes to me and wants to talk to me about Jesus, wants to talk to me about her faith. And so I just simply asked a few questions. Who is Jesus? And she said, she confessed with her mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then I asked her, how do you know this? And she told me that because God has raised him from the dead. And those were her words. She's 
pretty much verbatim speaking in Romans 10 on the gospel. And here's a six-year-old girl telling me this. And here she is, a six-year-old desiring to follow Christ. And she says, I want to be a follower of Christ. This is her words. And she says, I know, and she's articulating this as a six-year-old, and it was overwhelming. And she says, I know, I want, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. And here's the thing. This is what it gets to. Her parents were prepared to make a defense for their hope and their faith. Her parents were, because she was asking her parents a few weeks prior. God was working in her, calling her. So she's inquiring with her parents, and her parents were prepared. So my question, are you prepared? And I know by talking with most of you, I know you are. But are you prepared? I had to be prepared to answer her questions in Sunday school. It's not a suggestion. It's not something I should consider. I should probably know this stuff. It's more than that. It's following God. If you're following God, you should be prepared because God has called you to that. And that's what we need to understand as believers in this world. See, there's a natural collision that takes place with the world, isn't there, as a Christian? I know probably most of you have been there. For example, we got all the elections, we got all this controversial stuff going on. Someone here is, oh, you're pro-life. Why? Why are you pro-life? What your answer should be should be God's word as a believer. This is why I'm pro-life. Because the only one that can determine the decision of a life is God himself. It is not our decision. It's God, and we should follow his word. And that's what it should be. We should live for God and follow him. One thing I do want to say, well, before that, Remember this, in Romans 1, 18 through 20, if you have time, study this on your own. It's a very, very good passage. But here's the thing about the world. It's not the world doesn't know that there's a God. It's that the world suppresses the truth that there's a God. And that's what we learn in Romans 1, 20. The world suppresses the knowledge that there's a God. They're in denial. They're rebellious. They want to live for themselves and nobody else. And they don't want to hear about your Jesus who has called them to a life sought after him, of purity, of abstaining from the ways of the world and clinging to the ways of God. They don't want that. So they suppress the truth in ultimate rebellion and they run from God. So we have to remember that in talking with them and that's why this third point I want to make that is crucial to a, a Christian life in dealing with this is in, in 1 Peter 3.15 it says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We don't need, see, in other words, we don't need to add any tension to this, that the fact that they are running from God. We don't need to make it personal on ourselves. We just need to explain it to them because we know that in the Gospel of John chapter 15 Verses 18, these are Jesus' words, and he tells us, 
If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. See that? We don't need to add to that tension. They already hate you because of Jesus. Because they don't want to know the truth. So we need to be gentle in our approach to them and loving them and respectful, not respecting them in their sin, but respecting them enough as a person to help bring them out and help uncover what they're trying to hold back and suppress in, in God. They're trying to hide from the truth. We need to help reveal that to them. So let me pose a question again. Does the world see that God is with you in all that you do? And I'll testify that I see God, I see you're with God, most everybody that I know, that you're serving diligently. So I'm not saying you're not. That is not where I'm going. And that should be encouraged and continue. So please do so. So here's the, the humility. We do know at times when we do deny the opportunities. The, we know that God is faithful. And we know he's with us. The Bible says he will not leave us nor forsake us. Right? Amen? That's good. That is good. But in, we know that's true. So we got to look at this, this picture picture of Peter denying Jesus, and Jesus looks right at him, the Bible says. And so for us, in these moments of opportunity, and I've been there, of denying opportunities, but we have to think, if Jesus is always with us, he's looking at us. So here we are, right in front of Jesus, denying him the opportunity. It's something to consider and think about. Moving on, we're going to look at faithful Let's get back into our text in Genesis 21. We'll get back into 25. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, the second thing I'd like to point out here, sorry, I'm going to just move this out of the way. Let me just read that through. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech men have seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done these things. I did They did not tell me, or you did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. We'll just stop really quick right there. So here's again Abimelech. The first time what happened, he pleaded his case with God. He was innocent, right? I didn't know this is another man's wife. So now Abimelech is gaining fear in God, recognizing, "Uh uh-oh, what did my men do? What did they put me up against? And there's an anxiety in this in this phrasing that he has. I didn't know. You didn't tell me until today. Today I just found out. So there's already a change in order. There's already a change in perspective of this onward man looking in onto Abraham and recognizing God is with Abraham and all he does. And So he's already recognizing the difference. Because Abraham is maturing. He's being confident now in God's word. He's prepared. He's, he's understanding his hope. And, he's, and that's reflecting to Abimelech. Verse 27, Abraham, so Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. So this covenant that was made is the same covenant that was made when uh, God made a covenant back in 15 with Abraham, if you remember that. The covenant is called a, a blood path, an actual Hebrew word, or under our translation is cut a covenant, because the animals that they brought were sacrificed, and they were cut in half. And the covenanters, or covenantees, walk through the middle, signifying that what happened to these animals will happen to me, 
if I break my covenant. That's, that's a pretty heavy, heavy covenant, isn't it? That's a pretty heavy weight. It's a pretty direct pledge. It's a, it's a great trust coming into something, isn't it? It's a great trust. Now, we don't have covenants like that today, but I do want to kind of talk a little bit about covenants that we have here today. And Well, to start with our covenant, say church covenant. So as a church, we, we come, we, as you become a member, we have a church covenant. We agree to speak in each other's lives as leaders and as a congregation to hold each other accountable. We also come in as a family together to help in our covenant if, if finances are needed and you have the ability to give and if uh, service is needed and you have the time to serve. It's covenant. We're a family. We help each other out, right? And I see a lot of that going on in this church, and it's truly a blessing to be a part of that. But let's also talk about the covenant of two joining. Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about marriage here just a little bit. Now, the weight of that covenant that Abraham and Abimelech took, can you imagine if that was the way people got married and had a covenant like that? You'd have a lot of people cut in half, unfortunately, in the world, right? I'm not trying to be cruel or mean, but it's just an observation that there's a lot of unfaithfulness in marriage. And it's due to the fact that there's a lack of understanding of commitment. But that's the world. Let's talk about our church, not here locally, but church in general, God's children. We need to be better than that. We need to be strives above the world standard in marriage when it comes to commitment. Now, I'm not going to beat anybody up if, you know, just a side note, if you have been in a divorce or you're a single parent, let's remember Abraham, let's remember Peter and their failures, but let's remember they also grew from those and they matured from those and we need to learn from our mistakes and we need to help everybody else not walk that same path we did if we messed up, right? That's part of a family, holding each other accountable, right? So we speak in each other's lives. I'm not trying to beat anybody up on that, but we need as a church presently, as Christians presently, we need to be strides above the world when it comes to our, our faithfulness, when it comes to our faithfulness in our marriages. Would you agree? And, and here's the thing, the world does not set the standard. The world does not set the standard for what faithfulness looks like. But often as a church, as believers, we get caught up in that, don't we? It's easy to get caught up in that, isn't it? But we need to remain faithful to God's word, faithful to what we have covenanted in with, with our spouses. And I just want to hit with the men here, because God has called men to lead in our households. And I don't have time to talk about the role of the, the bride, but we will hit with men here. In verse, turn with me to Ephesians 5.25. We read this. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, in our faithfulness, this is what we need to understand. God sets the standard again of faithfulness. And Ephesians 5.1, he says, be imitators of God, right? So we don't imitate the world and the world's standards of faithfulness. We imitate God, and we will not be perfect. 
Don't get me wrong. But we imitate what God has said, what Christ has said. And then here is this verse speaking to us, men's husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, the love of Christ for his church is such that he counts himself incomplete for her. Not that he's lacking, not that he's needing, because we need God, and, we're, and often in our circumstances we lack God, so let's change the perspective. Let's not view it in that way. But he counts himself incomplete because he desires his children. And he chases after his children. And he loves his children. His love for his church is an unreserved love. It's a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. And for us men, we need to mirror that. I know it's difficult. It is difficult. But we don't sit on that difficulty and give up. No. We remember God is faithful. God is working. God is trust, trustworthy. And we trust in him and we trust in his word and we continue. We continue this pursuit of life and we continue to reflect his faithfulness in our marriages and how we love our wife. So moving back to the covenant with Abimelech and Abraham. So Abraham does something that's a little unusual he puts seven ewe lambs and separates them. And in verse 29, Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. In other words, you take these lambs from me that they will act as proof that you've recognized that I did dig it and I have rights to this well. So, in other words, it's sort of like earnest money. This is my well. I dug it. If you take these lambs, you're, you're, it's proof of that. Therefore, the place, in verse 31, it says, Therefore, the place was called Beersheba, because they both of them swore an oath. Beersheba means not only the well of an oath, but also it can mean the well of seven. So, we see that there is a covenant entered, that there is, there is a step entered. So, we see that in Abraham's life, he's now at this position of being mature, more mature than he has been before. He's trusting God now than when he didn't. And that's what we should be doing in our life. The times we look back and we're embarrassed by that we didn't trust in God, we need also start trusting in God. And we need to be faithful in our covenants, right? Faithful to what God has called us to be. And so, moving forward, we're going to talk a little bit about fulfill what it is to fulfill. So we're, we're learning, we're talking about following God, being a follower of God, and what that entails, what that looks like, and then the faithfulness in following God, and, and now we're talking about the fulfillment of following God, the fulfillment of being faithful. And <clears throat> this should take, help take a little pressure off of us. I know it does for me. It's Christ. It's God that fulfills in our life. It's his power, it's his glory. So it's not by our strength that we can, because we can't fulfill a covenant perfectly. 
but it's by the power and the glory of God that works in us, that flows through us, that will fill that covenant. Just like Peter, just like Abraham, they have no idea the impact of what their lives were. We don't even fully know, other than we're reading it now, we're looking at it now, and we're learning, and we're growing, we're understanding. And so that's what we need to remember, is that we won't know how we'll end up, other than that we just need to be obedient. And we need to understand it's God that fulfills. And Abraham, he planted his tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and he called on the name of the Lord, and he said, everlasting God. So Abraham here is saying, God is everlasting. He is faithful to fulfill. He is faithful to keep his promises. And this tamarisk tree was planted there in many ways, but it was also like a sign that signified the covenant that Abraham and Abimelech came in, and also the, the reminder of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And this tree, it, it's translated, it could be groves. I imagine most trees grew up, but it was more likely by the well, the one that was in dispute, the one that Abraham told Abimelech, I dug, and I want rights to it. And the one that Abimelech agreed to. And this is also a place of worship for Abraham. So Abraham also came to this place of worship, and, and the Bible talks about his worship was in public. He wasn't afraid of the outward person looking in when it came to him glorifying God. So when he calls there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, there's something really beautiful about how he did that. Because he's recognizing, you can see it in this, the life of his journey, that he was giving full glory to God for what they just went through. That it was all of God and not of him. And he knew and he's recognizing that God is the one that's faithful and he will fulfill his covenant. So we, we need to understand and recognize that as believers, we follow, we enter in this journey, and it won't be easy. We know that, you know that, how long have most of you have been believers, there will be challenges, there will be struggles, there will be temptations, but we do not give in, we do not give in to those temptations. We need to be like the parents of that six-year-old girl who were prepared, and not always being prepared doesn't mean you are going to have everything spelled out, but being ready to be prepared of any circumstance that comes about in your life that you have an ability to understand what is happening and you have the ability in that moment to praise God, give Him glory. And that's what we need to always lean to. So when we look, and we look at the following of God and the faithfulness of, or the, yeah, us as followers of God and God, God is our guide to our faithfulness. And that's what we also have to remember too. We're not our own guide to our faithfulness. God is. As he sets the standard of us as husbands to be faithful men to our wives, he guides us. He shows us through his word. I want to bring in Philippians 1.6. This is a very powerful verse to me. I love it. It's been a heart on my heart my entire Christian walk because it shows me a lot about myself, and I really am grateful about who God is. It says this, and I am... Sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So here it is. God's fulfilling in us. It's not us, it's him. Because he who began a good work, that's Christ, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, not us. We just need to be faithful as believers. That's what God called us to, being faithful, right? And so if you sit here today, and this is confusing to you, if you sit here and you're wondering, how, how can I do this? How is this for me? I, I'm in doubt. I'm in frustration. I would challenge you to stop suppressing the truth. I would challenge you to surrender to the Word of God, to look to Him and allow the Spirit to speak through His Word and guide you. And as we come this morning to communion, it's, it represents and reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. And, and this is for the believer, so if you're not a believer, there's no pressure. Don't take part in this. But if you're not a believer, I would challenge you to let God speak into your life through his word and stop suppressing the truth. And if you have questions about that, please come to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. So I'm going to close in prayer. I think I went a little quicker this second time. Hopefully I didn't leave anything out. But... Uh, God is working, God is moving, and we need to be trusting. Okay? And it's in his word, and we can recognize that. In the narrative of Abraham and his life and the journey that he went on, we can see the maturity and growth, and that's sanctification, being sanctified. God is sanctifying us each and every day, revealing to us our weaknesses and our sin. So we need to let God work. Let God move, surrender to his word, and follow him. And be faithful in our following of him, and God will fulfill what he has for us. Amen? Let's pray.